I'm Jordani Karma, and I've loved to read ever since I can remember, but I haven't always understood how to find the books that work for me. In the last few years, I've put focused time into my reading life to explore new-to-me genres and find the reading frameworks that work for me. I've gone from being completely lost in a sea of titles to homing in on the exact reads that will be amazing for me. In this season, I'll share my very first time keeping a reading journal, and I'll recommend the titles I discover and love on the way along with specific, practical tips to help you find the books you need in your reading life. This is Season 3, Episode 3 of Reading Like an Adult, and in this episode I want to go back to basics and talk about the first big question that I'm trying to answer by keeping a reading journal. Do I want to repeat this reading experience? To me, that's the big question that I answer when I track my reading life. If I can't even finish the book, the answer is very likely no. But if I read a book and enjoyed it enough to get through to the end, what's next? If you're a big reader too, you know that there are many different answers to that question. Here are some that come to mind for me. Do I want to repeat this reading experience? Yes, this book is already firmly in my wheelhouse and I know I'll read something by the same author in the same genre or in a similar vein in the near future. Do I want to repeat this reading experience? Yes, this book surprised me with how much I enjoyed it, and now I'm excited to look for another read in the same genre or on the same topic. Or maybe your answer is yes, someday. Maybe it's a genre you love, but you've read almost too much of it, and you feel yourself teetering on the edge of burning out on it. Readers, please be very careful of this. Genre burnout is tough to recover from. Or maybe your answer is somewhere in the spectrum of no, which can happen even if you enjoyed a book enough to read to the end. Do I want to repeat this reading experience? No, because the ending of this book made me angry or sad, or I otherwise had a bad reaction to it. Or, no, I was interested enough to make it to the end, but now I don't need to read another book in the same genre for a long time. This is typically how I feel whenever I pick up something that's dystopian, fantasy, science fiction, magical realism, or romance, genres I occasionally dip into and then get my fill of. Or maybe it's a no because you loved this very specific book, and while you know other books exist in the same genre, this read was something unique. I felt this way after reading The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. Its magic blend of lovable, one-of-a-kind characters, cozy yet page-turning plot, and just enough fantasy sparkle in an ostensibly normal setting was completely unique. Yes, I could find plenty of other books in the fantasy genre if I wanted to, but I'm not going to find an exact next house in the Cerulean Sea. The best I can do is pick up another book by T.J. Klune someday, when I'm ready, but for now I love this specific read too much to do that right away. There are so many answers to that big question, and none of them are wrong, but thinking through yours will help guide you to your next read. Two years ago, I started a year of fiction that changed my reading life. If you haven't listened yet, you can hear all about it in season one of this podcast. For 2022, I wanted to explore nonfiction with a theme and reading list for each month. I'm being choosy and careful this time around. For my year of fiction, I loved bringing home big stacks of books to explore. But because I've enjoyed a lot of nonfiction, and this year is more about returning to the genres I love, and because I am so much more aware of my own reading tastes and what I need in my reading life than ever before, I'm typically picking one book in my nonfiction genre each month to read. In March, I wanted to read memoir. 
For some reason, springtime feels like the perfect season of the year to step into someone else's shoes. I chose Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. It's a moving book, curiously uplifting despite its raw tragedy. This is a cancer memoir written by a Christian who spent years exploring the culture of the prosperity gospel and its ties to American culture, only to realize when she was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer at age 35 that there is no rhyme or reason to why bad things happen. It sounds funny to describe a cancer memoir as a fast, sweet read, but this one was. Everything Happens for a Reason is determined to document every funny family moment, along with the agony of being diagnosed with colon cancer, and not only facing the thought of leaving your spouse and child, but also struggling through every medical indignity and acquaintance's blundering reassurance along the way. Kate Bowler's words are also a practical reminder of the things not to say to someone going through a hard time. At least you're not dealing with X. Everything happens for a reason. Maybe God needs an angel. I grew up with the prosperity gospel mindset that has infiltrated Christian culture, and I've struggled with deep depression, the kind that contradicts all the God is always with you and everything happens for a reason type reassurances that Christians often use to put a bow on the hard times we all go through. God is good, you're fine, case closed. Kate Bowler asks some terrible, beautiful questions in this book. I'm just going to read one of my favorite parts, copied down, of course, in my reading journal, because her words are so much better than my paraphrasing would be. She writes, What would it mean for Christians to give up that little piece of the American dream that says, You are limitless? Everything is not possible. The mighty kingdom of God is not yet here. What if rich did not have to mean wealthy, and whole did not have to mean healed? What if being people of the gospel simply meant that we are people with good news? God is here. We are loved. It is enough. I wish I'd had this memoir when I was going through my hard time, but I did find comfort in many other memoirs and memoir and essay collections. This genre has exploded in readership and grown in diversity in recent years, and we're lucky to live in a time when we have so many fascinating stories at our fingertips. I wanted to quickly list some of my favorites so you can see if they sound like a fit for you. If you know books, this won't be a surprise, but the two examples often credited with starting the trend of memoir as a best-selling genre are Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert and Wild by Cheryl Strait. I don't need to go into detail about either of these books. I'll just say that I read both when I was struggling and they helped me a lot. I also appreciated that while they're both about women finding themselves again after loss, the two books offer something very different. Wild is a more traditionally paced memoir with a lot more action, while Eat, Pray, Love is more introspective and written in short, fast chapters that build on each other and weave into a whole. A lot of memoir is about people doing more, going big, changing their lives, and it can be inspiring. But sometimes what you need is the reminder that you're enough, and if you're going through something difficult, the best you can do is rest. Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times by Catherine May is a quiet, prescriptive memoir about the importance of giving yourself that time. A fun subgenre of memoir is the food and restaurant scene. Last year I read Wine Girl, a sommelier's tale of making it in the toxic world of fine dining by Victoria James, and Notes from a Young Black Chef by Kwame Anwachi. 
Both books are written by people who ultimately became successful in the world of fine dining, and I loved how these two memoirs both tied everything back to taste. A childhood story isn't just a childhood story. It's a sense memory about what there was, or perhaps wasn't, on the table for dinner. I also very much enjoyed Garlic and Sapphires, The Secret Life of a Critic in Disguise by Ruth Reichel, a memoir of her adventures in moving coasts to become the food critic for the New York Times and putting on various costumes and characters to be able to review restaurants anonymously. The memoir in essays might be my favorite kind of memoir. Here for It or How to Save Your Soul in America Essays by R. Eric Thomas is a funny and lyrical example that takes hilarious, quotable, true-to-life scenes from the author's life and ties them to universal and beautiful and hard things about the human experience. Another favorite title in this vein is I Miss You When I Blink Essays by Mary Laura Philpott. She has a new essay collection out this year called Bomb Shelter, Love, Time, and Other Explosives. And yes, I have it on my library holds list and can't wait to get a hold of it. Unlike Wild and Eat, Pray, Love, I Miss You When I Blink is the story of how you can be discontent in your life but take a path other than completely blowing it up. One big change helped Philpot find her way without totally leaving behind the life she'd built with her husband. Her experience is a reminder that we don't have to stay stuck in busy, miserable lives. That could be so much better after one big change. I love the memoir and essays genre because it's sneaky. Each essay seems like an effortless fragment of the author's life, but as you keep reading, you see how the pieces not only fit together to tell a larger story for their own narrative, but also show some bigger insight that will help you understand your own life story better. In each episode of this season, I'm sharing a specific, concrete idea that I hope will make your reading life better. For today's reading resource, I wanted to share a super simple, easy way to feel surrounded by books, in a cozy, joyous way, obviously. We've all seen books displayed at the library or bookstore on easels. It's one of those things you don't think about because you're distracted by the shiny covers and you're used to seeing books set up this way for library card holders or for buyers. But one day, something clicked and I realized there was nothing stopping me from buying a few easels and setting them up on bookshelves at home. I found easels online that are just like the ones my library has, and now I can admire and be inspired by some of my favorite covers. It's also a very easy way to feel as if you've decorated while keeping it totally flexible. I like to change out which books are on display by mood and by season. I even bought adorable copies of the Flower Fairies books to be swapped out for each season, so right now the Flower Fairies of the Spring is one of my shelf decorations. For this episode, I couldn't decide on my favorite book of 2022 so far, so I'm sharing two recent favorites. The first one I'll talk about is Finding Audrey by Sophie Kinsella, who's obviously best known for her Shopaholic series. This is her only YA title, but it made me long for her to return to the genre. Audrey is struggling with anxiety and depression after a dark time at school, and she hasn't been able to go back yet. This book covers some incredibly difficult topics in a light yet thoughtful way, which is so hard to do as a writer. It's a hidden gem that I'm really glad I picked up as part of my reading project to go through all of Kinsella's backlist this year. Even though its intended audience is young adult, I'd recommend it to adults as well. 
No Filter, The Story of Instagram by Sarah Fryer was my other favorite from this month, an extension of my narrative nonfiction reading from February. I'm getting very into the Silicon Valley narrative nonfiction slash business case study genre of reading again, after burning out on it several years ago. This may be the best example of that genre that I've ever read, and I've read a lot of books about Silicon Valley startups. To start with, it's expertly paced and delivers on its promise to genuinely be a book about Instagram. No Filter gives enough context but doesn't overly linger on anyone's backstory, one of my pet peeves with narrative nonfiction. As a writer who's currently tackling my own very big project, I love the inspiring creativity story of Instagram's founding. The co-founders took the time to think through what problems they wanted Instagram to solve and really tinkered with the name to find something catchy. Even though I'm working on a novel, not a social media app that will revolutionize how people communicate forever, their moment of slowing down in the creative process to really figure out what their audience wanted and needed was a concrete reminder that I need to do the same thing if I want to find success. I also love the balance between a larger narrative about how Instagram has shaped and continues to shape our relationship with social media and the fun, quirky, surprising anecdotes sprinkled throughout the book. If you're interested to hear about the time Justin Bieber got locked out of his account before Instagram had a proper setup for people to reset their passwords, this is the book for you. Thanks for listening. You can visit readinglikeanadult.com to find a list of all the books mentioned in this episode. If you'd like more book recommendations or even a personalized reading list of your own, please check out my Substack newsletter, People Who Like Things. This episode is written, narrated, and produced by me. I'm Jordan Karma, and I'm glad you're joining me on this reading journey. In the next episode, we'll talk about my problem with retaining information from my reading life, and talk about some reading journal ideas to help solve it. I can't wait.